Okay, um, chapter three, moving ahead. Now, uh, some of the things in this chapter we've actually all talked about already. And so, I, you know, I thought, I'm just going to throw out four things that I thought about when I read this chapter. Um, but I do, I do have a lengthy quote at the beginning of, the hand, of this handout I gave out, just because that, that really sums up well the uh, entire chapter. So if you had not had a chance to read the chapter, or just chose not to, because you're watching the Olympics, um, you can just read that, and um, I think you get the whole thing. So uh, rather than me starting this conversation, uh, what did you guys think of the chapter? She uh, talked about a nun, a friend's teenage daughter. Uh, I think that's it. I, yeah, I mean, in terms of like the framework of the conversation. Um, yeah, so the nun was stuck in her idea. Her idea was basically framed by her uh, theological education, typical of the 1960s. It was maybe a little more ideological focused than theologically focused. Um, and then the young lady who was the high school girl, who eventually grew up to be a college girl, it was groupthink. Uh, the idea of, hey, this is the cool group. This is what they think. This is their idea. And so I want to be like that. Um, Anyways, we do this all the time. All right. Well, I'll get this conversation started. I'll get this party rolling. The first thing that uh, Scalia brings up is actually uh, self, the idea of, of, of yourself. And last week, unfortunately, I had read a little too much theological jibber-jabber. And last week I said, uh, you don't change. And uh, it was a little confusing. And thankfully, Mary Caesar asked me about this because I never got to finish. So I um, read an article, very interesting article, about how uh, God decides who we are. And that never changes. However, that's kind of the absolute sense. It's not like you were once an animal and then all of a sudden, hey, you're a, you're a person. You are once a dragon and now you're a person. You don't change in that respect. However, you do change insofar as, obviously, you grow older, and you're different that way. Um, and then also emotionally and, uh, you know, psychologically, you, you change, too. But I, to be more, a little bit more specific, you, you actually are becoming more of who you are. Okay? That's all I meant back then. So, in the vernacular, yeah, we change all the time. In fact, it's good to change in that sense. Um, maybe, because we're all of the age where we had yearbooks, right? Uh, I don't know if kids still do the yearbook, hey, sign my yearbook thing. Do people, kids do that still? Yeah? Okay. Well, back when I was a kid, especially in junior high, and uh, unfortunately, I did look. I don't have any of my junior high yearbooks in my house. I, have, and I only have like one or two high school ones. I don't know where the other ones went, but it probably, although my mom and dad, they kind of cleaned house a few years ago. Yeah, exactly. I got the old, hey, this is your box. It's not staying here. Um, yeah. Oh, and I, I thought it was great. I mean, some of that stuff I didn't even thought of. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, see, I never thought of that. But anyways, when I was a junior high kid, I remember all the time. Oh, man, hey, so good getting to know you this year, man. You're, like, you're cool. Uh, don't change over the summer. Make sure you stay cool. And I, I, remember, all, I remember that very distinctly about, like, not changing. And I'm like, well... Uh, again, I was a little too literal. Um, it's like, really? I think I'm going to change. Yeah, I'm going to be older. Hopefully I'll be better at things. So, um, so, you know, 
the uh, Scalia book, she says, right at the, I think it's at the end of the first paragraph on the, in the beginning of the chapter, it says, but hopefully we never remain static. Okay? And the idea of who we are, uh, part of who we are is grounded in what I, I wrote down, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Does anybody know what that is off the top of their head? Or the essence of that chapter, uh, verse? Uh, no, we are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. Based on that verse, our understanding of ourselves is always changing because it is always becoming <coughs> new. Um, and that challenges us, the idea of, of how we see ourselves and who we are. And uh, I got a nice quote here. I, I really uh, like this, this guy. He, he, it's about my theology, a short summary. And he says his theology is terrible. But uh, it says, I believe, therefore, I'm astonished. And how? Believing one experiences God as the inexhaustible mystery of oneself in all things. Uh, I didn't quote the rest of the bit there, but maybe I should have is that in faith or theological understanding is always given to astonishment, and that is even in terms of theologically understanding ourselves. Um, so this is, this is kind of hard for a lot of us, I think. The idea that we know who we are and we get comfortable with who we are. Um, I have the quote there, my mind's made up, don't confuse me with the facts. Um, this is, uh, but we change all the time. We're always changing. Krista. But Pastor, I think you said um, uh, God made us, and, um, but can we not change to um, just the opposite when we uh, have no connection with God anymore? Okay, so Krista, yeah, so that would be the opposite side of change, degradation, or I'm sorry, degression rather than kind of pr progression. Now, that, that's a good, good segue because as she talks about an idea and the idea of, of, of whatever, ideas are, in the quote here, um, well, the first line, we get ideas, we embrace them, pet them, polish them until they own us and hinder us and we are no longer free. So the, the idea is that ideas as idols are basically something that constricts us and that doesn't open us up. And in addition to the, the nun and the high school girl, she has a long discussion about yes and no in the chapter. And this is precisely where you're getting at, whether you know it or not, is that when we, when we, come up against God, or we run with God, our understanding of ourselves is always opened, opened up into growth. And then the opposite would be closed in and, and uh, you know, constricted. So that your change, you're still human, but your change would be coming, are you becoming more of who you are? or less of who you are. Like the classic example from like fantasy would be Gollum from the Lord of the Rings. Anybody ever see that? Or read it. Sorry, I should have said that. That would have been more cultured. So this character in this story, who's kind of like the, the main character to a certain extent, Gollum is a hobbit. I can't remember what his real name is, though. Schmeagle. Yeah, thank you. Um, he's, a, he's a hobbit, which is a, a sort of like a, a cer certain kind of being, I guess. Let's say he's human. He's a hobbit. Uh, and uh, he finds the ring. And if you remember how he actually got it, he killed it. He killed for it. And he, he's so consumed by what this ring is and this idol that it, it, he, he, he becomes physically different. 
but as you read it, you realize that he's still like he's still this hobbit. Like he's not like so he's become less of himself, so much so that he's unrecognizable. He seems like an animal even. So, but what he has shut himself off to is to God, basically, to, to the world. I mean, again, this is a fantasy book, so let's not get too literal, but the, the analogy works very well. So, unfortunately, when we, when we accept the idea of this, uh, I'm sorry, this one idea of who we are as a static person, uh, we stop our growth. And not just stop it, but start to restrict it. We become less. Yeah. Um, it gets even worse, though, when we project that onto other people, our relationships. So I know who Donna is. I have an idea of who she is. I don't, actually. I, yeah, I mean, but since I believe I know who she is, or the idea of Donna, I've stopped her from being something different. Or changing, or growing. Yes. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Right, right. Yes. Exactly. Right. That's right. Um, think about it. Uh, you know, uh, with respect to families, I'll give like a really kind of silly example of of uh, like the foil to what Kirby just said is that. Um, uh, you know, I was a I was a little boy at one time, and I uh, you know, uh, but as I grew up, I changed, right? Physically speaking, I changed. You know, I mean, I used to have really blonde hair when I was a kid, like white. Uh, you know, so that's one change. I grew taller. I got heavier. Now, how I relate to my parents physically has changed quite a bit. I mean, I don't, I don't go home and sit on my dad's lap anymore. <laughs> I don't go around and like say, hey, let's, let's wrestle, dad. <laughs> I, don't, uh, I don't hold my mom's hand in public anymore. <laughs> All right, see, of course, yes, I knew I would get the sentimental, yes, of course I should. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. We know why I don't. Um, but for, for, for some reason, that's okay. That, 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 whole, that whole boundary or that whole change is kind of just normal. To a certain extent, we, you know, we have a sense of loss. Like, you know, when your child goes off to college or goes off to the first day of school, we work through that change. But we don't say we should keep this child, you know, as a five-year-old. Because that would be weird. And it would be awful. I mean, if my, my mom and dad treated me physically as a five-year-old, I mean, ugh, it'd be weird. Now, when it comes to emotional or personality, of course, we don't apply the same argument anymore. So Kirby, rather than, like, experiencing a sense of growth of who she is as a woman and a person, the family says, ah, you're still that, you know, you're still that bossy kid. And no one blinks an eye. Everyone's like, well, that's just the way it is. Yeah, some people never see that change. Because, and why don't they see that change? Because they are, they're, they're, the, the idol has blinded them to the reality of things. Now this goes back to our idol, uh, our image and our icon bit is that icons open our eyes to see more, to see things. Unfortunately, the idols will constrict us and say, no, that's, 
that's not actually there. And so life has now been uh, restricted. Okay, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but we do the same thing with God. Um, Vicar, you're making me nervous. You're all good, okay. Excellent. So, uh, but we do this also the same with God. Uh, so, and this is how uh, a sense of wonder. So right after this moment that she says, hey, you know, hopefully you don't always see yourself as static, um, she also brings up the sense of wonder. So one thing that, we can, that can hinder growth is our willingness to attach labels to ourselves and adopt identifications, particularly with groups, to whose ideas we've become attached. In doing so, we cease to ponder, cease to wonder, cease to think. Remember St. Gregory of Nyssa? Only wonder leads to true knowing. So, as we um, understand our idea of God, we often will attach labels, um, identifications, and then uh, the idea of group. So, I put the idea of God, not God himself, and then I put Lutheran, Baptist, Hindu, and Atheist God. Sometimes, when we are part of a denomination, so let's think with just with, within Christianity. This this thinking is is our way our our kind of our understanding of who God is, becomes, the wholeness of who God is. And so everyone who's outside of that. Whether it's even what they believe or not, but just by the label, they're wrong, or they fit into some other group that's that's not part of the right group. So you lose all the all the life that you could gain from these you know these other people. So I have another long quote from this dude. Um, uh, but the thing is, though, is that um, the second point... Oh, so Philip Melanchthon, he's a Lutheran guy. He's got a great quote here. We do better to adore the mysteries of deity than to investigate them. Now, that, that, you have to take that into context. Because when we, like, when we investigate, we often like to investigate to the point where we know and manipulate. Like it says in that long quote, we love to put things into compartments so that psh, they're easy to control. I can, I can move them if I need to. I, need, I can put them on the shelf. I can I do whatever. So in order to mitigate that or combat that, Philip Lincoln says, hey, let's adore God rather than investigate so that we can Put them in a compartment. Put them in a box. And one of the great things is so. Uh, so not only when you believe, are you astonished about who you are? Obviously, when you believe, you're astonished at who God is. And one of the one of the great things is that theology is never delivered from astonishment. You you as a Christian. As a Christian, period. I mean, like, this is, as a Christian, you're never at a point where you say, oh, I already know that. That, that, that doesn't happen as a Christian. Because there's always what? More. There's always more. There's always something more to learn. So how do we see this in our own life? Uh, well, in our, like, congregation. Let's talk about other people. It's easier to talk about other people. Um, people who went to confirmation and said, that's it, I got it all. Now, whether they actually acknowledge that, like vocally, oh, I don't need to go to church, I learned it all. They do actually acknowledge that in what they, how they live and their actions by not coming back to church and not participating in Bible study. You know, some people might say, well, that, you know, I don't go to Bible study, and they, they really believe they have a legitimate reason, but that's actually not true. I mean, it's, it's, 
you're gonna you boil it down. You're, you're gonna have to face the decision whether you want to know more or you don't. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I say when people say that to me, I'm like, this is true, yes. But they get, I, they get hurt by the church, right. and in their mind, they can't be open to the idea right. that there's other things. Well, and the, so this is so interesting that you said this, right, Mary? It's so funny. It, it was so funny. Um, there, you know, the blogosphere, the Twitter feed. Uh, a, a, a guy, he wrote this book called Blue Like Jazz, um, it would have been, well, I don't know, 10 years ago, 8 years ago. It got some tr you know, traction in the uh, evangelical world. And it, it's sort of a, I don't want to say, it's, it's, um, it's, a it's a critique of the church, basically, of the American church. And he has a lot of good points about what's wrong with the church. And uh, anyways, he came up on, uh, he wrote on his blog that he doesn't go to church anymore. Now, this is a man where he hasn't really, I mean, he hasn't been drastically hurt by the church. I mean, his, uh, I think his youth pastor, well, yeah, he'd been hurt by the church. Let's put it that way. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Anyways, um, he doesn't go to church because, you know, I don't learn about God by singing songs to him. Uh, you know, I, I read my theological books and my Bible, and so I, I get more out of the, doing that than listening to the sermon. I mean, he's found many, many reasons why not to go to church. Now, those, those examples are probably more driven by cynicism by than events that have happened. But he's created an idea of a church where he can say no to it. Because, you know, it's, it's easy to figure out. Um, but for, like, all the reasons why I didn't go to church would be, uh, were, like, the reasons why I, I go to church. Um... So, the, so this is thinking is that because well, so because the church is filled with sinners, I can't go. <laughs> now, let me let me just. But well, but I mean, but but one of but one of the things is we don't actually think through these idols, because like for instance, a person who doesn't go to church because yeah, they're all the hypocrites, they're all the same. If they were absolutely perfect. Would then you, would you feel more comfortable going to church? Oh, okay then. Okay then. No, we've just shattered your idea, your idol of church. I feel condemned when I go there. Yeah. Now, so now, what are you going to say? So, uh, so I mean, one of the interesting things about these idols or these ideas is that when they're actually confronted with like the truth of it, we're forced to make these decisions, and oftentimes, rather than like coming to the truth, we simply what. Dodge, right? And we create up another idol that we like to worship. That just fits within our own idea. So like a college um, Or like what we talk about, like you, um, you draw other people into your, so, it, you know, you draw other people in to firm up this idea that you have. That's right. So you gather other people who think the same way mm -hmm. so that you can create the solution that you're right and this is, you know, you're okay. Yeah, and, and so... That's exactly what she says in the book, right? You, you become associated with these groups. Yeah, the, the nuns all agreed in, in their, uh, you know. Well, what I was trying to say is like the college kids too, they go off to college and they may not be angry at the church, but yet because of the groups and their affiliations and things that they do, they don't attend. Right. They don't really pray and worship God and all of a sudden when they have children and marry and other sources after their lives that bring them back. Yeah, well, they realize that, you know, there's something going on. You know, one of the things, too, just to kind of close that, that, that going to church bit, I mean, you go to church because 
you go to that's the one place where you can't get something anywhere else in the world, right? God has promised to be there for us in the church. Um, you know, so I don't, I don't, I don't actually go to church. I mean, to put it kind of most bluntly, I don't go to church to learn something. I mean, I do learn things, and oftentimes I, I, I don't learn. Uh, I don't learn from like the uh, kind of the academic sense of learning. I mean, one of the things, I, uh, one of the things for me over my lifetime, has been the notion of of relationship. Or the concept of relationship, or the uh, you know, is that. I, I'm learning about being with people. Family. Yeah, I mean, it, it, exactly. Nancy. Yeah, I mean, isn't that the thing? I mean, I, in Western culture, we have this big individualistic thing, and oh, we, you know, we don't think as a group, but really, part of your, the church isn't just you go for intellectual enlightenment about that. Right. You're there for relationships with other people. And, you know, I, I can never remember the, the quote about if you, if you can't love man who you do see, how can you love God who you don't see, right. Yes, first John, yep. Extrapolate, or some people want to kind of separate their intellectual knowledge about God from actually ministering to people. Yeah, right. Okay, so, so uh, yeah, let's keep, I just want to, I don't want, I don't want to not finish this thought. So we go to church to receive the forgiveness of sins. That's the simple way. But part of that forgiveness of sins is then the outgrowth of what that means. Not, and, and so that all develops into relationships and all this other stuff. So, um, uh, anyways, so so this whole the whole thing though uh, of the group idea though, especially in today's uh, kind of way. I mean, it's very easy to find a hundred people that agree with us. us. Oh, what do I have to do? Twitter. Yeah, Twitter, Facebook. <laughs> now, what's the lie about that though? Yeah. So, how have I established my relationships with these people? It's based on a non-relationship, basically. So what's been very interesting about the social media or the digital relationships, it actually accentuates the individuality. Where before, if you really wanted people to be on your side, you actually had to what? Like, yeah, go with them. I mean, so I, mean, I think it's, it's, it's a peculiar, peculiar situation. But um, the, yeah, so, so this, this is, is uh, um, oh boy, in the comments sections of these, of things that get posted, I sometimes I, I I read them sometimes, and inevitably what happens is you get one person say something, and and a group of people will either defend or rebut, and but it's it's groupthink. I mean, people just pile on, they get together, and then oftentimes, which way does that even go? It gets worse. I mean, awful. Some awful things are said. Terrible. But anyways, so the idea, though, as, as Mary said, was that um, you, you get enough people to agree with you, and then it must be, must be true. My idea was right, and it is truth. But that's not true. And we see that all the time, especially we see that in, uh, uh, so that ultimately manifests itself politically. This is all political stuff, whether it be, you know, your, your favorite pie or you know president of the united states you know if my apple pie if i love my apple pie the most and i get enough people to agree with it then it must be the best in the world but i get that politically i i, I mean I, I i gather enough people and you agree with me and it all works out and i feel good donna uh, you said something about you don't go to church to learn anything no, no, that's not my primary reason going to church. And I wish I would have learned that at a very early age. You know, uh, you go to church um, to draw God. Yeah, receive the forgiveness of sins and praise God. Yep. And, and it, if the children, and if we as parents and adults could instill that in the children, that we don't go because everybody else is wrong, or we don't go there because uh, we have, you know, we have to do this, we have all this instruction um, to be a child of God or to be part of the church. Why, I mean, if, we, if the children, if I as a child would have learned the real motive or had the real motive and the real reason right. for going to church, I think that would have been real yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so, okay, but uh, I mean, this is one of the things where God has, uh, God's worked it all out for you. Even though you didn't learn it back then, you learned it now. <laughs> you know, I think that in our church, that, I know. You know, that's why people leave the church, because 
they don't get the feeling that you know this is it's essential. It's it's part of what it, parts of who you are. Yeah, you know, the, one of the things is that uh, not not to. I mean, you can go to church for those other reasons too, by the way. And some some. I mean, I'll be honest. Some some weeks I go to church because I like the people and I want to be with them. And I, I really think about God. Yeah. Um, but when the when the when the going gets tough, though, that's where that's where you go to church and you find out why you really go to church. Um, and so, I, I mean, I go to church because I, I, for a variety of reasons. But, I mean, I'm just thinking about the one fundamental thing, the one thing. Yeah, forever and ever. Yeah, right. Because, um, you know, when relationships do get broken, as Kirby said, you find out that, uh, you know, do I go to church because of, of this earthly reason? Even though it's a good reason, though. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's good to be with people you like. It's good to be with friends. It's good to be with people you love. It's, it's very important. But anyways, okay, so uh, that, yeah. Okay, great. Krista. Uh, <clears throat> I think it's a, a, a concerning uh, the church in Germany. I, I sometimes really wonder, you know, um, when I grew up and uh, um, the churches were really filled. We uh, there was World War Two and uh, we had um, we were in war and the churches were filled and it was really really um, they they believed and uh, um, and uh, God did miracles mm-hmm. sure but now uh, uh, over the time um, uh, we recovered we were very um, uh, very to do and so and more and more the churches, um, even some closed in my home. Right. And uh, the, uh, the people who are going a little bit older. The youth, um, there are, uh, I have to say, um, there are once a year of, um, or every se- uh, seven years, there's a huge, huge Kirchentag. Yeah. Um, and really, 100,000 people are coming together. Young and old and everything. What is a Kirchentag? Kirche, Kirche is church. Right. You know, and uh, Tag is day. So. Catholic and, and yes, church day. All kinds of, um, and they are coming together for several days. Yes. You know, in, the, in the city, you know, and um, and it's it's uh, it's like uh, Billy Graham. You know, yeah, right. Or what we just uh, had, uh, the daughter of uh, Linda Kaufman. Okay. His his um, uh, his. Uh, Right. Sure. It's it's really inspiring and everything. Sometimes I really disagree a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's it's sometimes, you know, uh, they think they have to modernize the Christian belief or whatever. Right. And and then it goes down in a certain way. Or or the expectation of the church is not, you know, you are not, um, I would say you are not... um, Satisfied with that, what you hear. Right. Yeah, well, actually, Krista brings up. So, yeah, Holly. Oh, I was going to say is that so in the chapter in this book, though, she brings up this uh, yes and no kind of distinctions. And what Krista is describing, I think, is that most people don't go to church because they think it's a big no, kind of metaphorically speaking. Um, and uh, I mean, not necessarily. I don't think it's just a German German issue, obviously, right? It's it's an international issue. But uh, we do, uh, you know. There's a, there was a few German philosophers, Friedrich Nietzsche, who uh, had. I think I might have mentioned this before. The, uh, the death of God, and uh, but but what's, if you actually read that book, he's not talking about the biblical God, but it's this idea of God. Unfortunately, though, many people believed in the idea of the God he was destroying. <laughs> and, um, and so, 
that was so pervasive, though. And his God that he destroyed was a God of no. I mean, I did real simply, and there's a Wheaton College professor who wrote a nice book on it, uh, the Pious Nietzsche, and that, that's essentially the, 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 the thesis of the book, is that Nietzsche is right. He's destroying the idea of the God of no. And rather than being offended by this, we should actually say he is right. Now, of course, Nietzsche didn't realize that. I mean, he, he really thought he was confronting the one true God. But, um, I mean, but, but you, can, you, can read, you can read some of his writings and say, oh, well, that's not, I mean, as a, I mean, as a especially, you know, well, that, that's, not, that's not what the Bible says. So, anyways, I, I, it's one of those interesting things where the young people especially see the church as one big fat no. Right. Yeah. Yep. So they think, oh, there's no place for me in there. Yeah. Yeah, like how do I make Yeah. Okay, so, so uh, yeah, let's, uh, Holly. If they're not going to church, then have to think about Oh, yeah, right. Right. And that's the only reason he wants to go to church. Yeah, see his buddies, see his friends. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's not because of the forgiveness of sins. He's like, ooh, right. What is that? Well, praise, praise the Lord, though. He's not driven by guilt yet. Right. So, I mean, it, we can't negate, you know, the different stages of our development. Yeah, oh, ooh, man, so now we're back to change. That's right. We're, that's right. That's good. That's exactly right. We, we have to, so this is one of the, I think one of the sadnesses of maybe even like when I was growing up, um, there, there was a lot of adult expectations on me in terms of like how I was supposed to be a Christian. And, but I was like, you know, I never really, I'm like, I'm a kid. I mean, I consciously speaking, like I wasn't thinking that way. I'm like, hey, you're treating me like an adult. I'm a kid. That's unrealistic. Um, and so, and so one of the, that, that was kind of the bummer, uh, I think, in, in my Christian upbringing was you had these expectations which were just simply, like, not applicable. Um, you know, but as I started to grow, and obviously my parents, you know, were, they, they had me stick with it. Uh, <laughs> and so as I, uh, you know, as I grew older, then some of these expectations became a lot more tangible or a, a, a lot more... Uh, uh, Realistic or understanding and, and uh, authentic, yeah, and, well, and, yeah, and eventually meaningful. Um, you know, one of the things. So, so, anyways, so again, but but as we understand uh, scripture, and that was the ch- the the passage I read in the chapel. Paul says, "With Christ, it's not yes and no, but it's what, it's always yes." That's first, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 15 through 22. So what's interesting is, and I, she didn't actually mention that scripture in the chapter, so I thought it was kind of interesting, but with God, it's, it's always yes. However, um, he does say no. So the question, the question I think we have to ask ourselves, and I put that at the end of the, the little handout there, is we don't know what God says no to until we, say, until we know what he says yes to. And I think those of us who, who kind of are, are you know, excited about church, we've actually focused on the yes and not the no. And seeing what the yes is 
that has helped us put the no into context. Not really as the first word, uh, obviously, not, obviously not as the first word, but not even as the primary word. No is only no because it rubs up against the yes. So it, to put it kind of in a way is that it's only no until you reject the yes. Um, so, yeah, so, you, yeah, yeah. Faye. Sure. Well, exactly, and it, so yeah. So the idea, in in terms of like you know going to church, this okay. So, um, well, someone said to me recently, uh, you know, oftentimes I go to to Bible studies for myself or to be with be with friends. And uh, since reading this book, I realized that I got to go to Bible studies to learn about God. Now that seems pretty obvious, right? Um, but this, this woman actually said this to me, and I was like, that's great. All right, fantastic. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, uh, I'm like, hey, yeah, exactly. But th- this goes to the point is that when we, uh, and this goes along with church too. I mean, this, this is kind of all analogous here, this conversation, is that um, it, doesn't, it doesn't negate all those good things, community and, and, and uh, friendships and relationships, but only those communities and those relationships that are based upon God are the ones that are actually long-lasting or, 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 or real relationships or however you want to say it. But even our relationship to God, though, is always based on this yes. And I, I like her, her little distinction between, you know, uh, not distinction, her uh, uh, Jesus' yes, Mary's yes, our yes. And his yes, and God's yes. Um, and so it's all real, real, real nice. But this has been really helpful, I think, in terms of how we understand Christianity and how we articulate it to people. Uh, C.S. Lewis, I, I put a quote in there, just a random quote from C.S. Lewis, Surprised by Joy. It's a nice little book. It's kind of like his autobiography in terms of how he became a Christian. But this little scenario where, like, joy overcomes him. Like, he, 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 uh, is, he's, just, he's like standing in the garden, and it's so mundane. It's like, what's the big deal? But in that moment, he's experienced God's yes. And ex- I mean, but, the, but when you experience God's yes, e- even in this mundane moment, life has just psh, exploded for him. Now, for those who've experienced that, uh, you're, you're, it's hook, line, and sinker. You've experienced how God's yes has opened up life into abundance. So that, you know, we don't have to go to the crusade to experience this high. We can just do the normal thing. This is why I'll never be a person that jumps out of an airplane with a parachute. I have a great amount of joy just jumping out of bed onto the floor. <laughs> no, but, but, but the idea is, though, is that, um, and, and so I think, I think once, once that happens, then the whole notion of God is no, just kind of, you're like, uh, whatever. It's, it's like so not on my radar screen anymore as a kid or as a person. So yeah, so the no is put into context now. So like sex, for instance. Sex devoid of relationship is, is, is unfulfilling. It, it, but what most people don't, they actually, have to ex, they actually have to explore that. Because they think the antidote to sex not being uh, fulfilling is what? More sex, right? It's got to get better at it. And then it will be fulfilling. And, and you see that. I mean, you just watch nightly TV, and uh, I can't stand when those commercials come on. I'm fixing a print and press tonight. Uh, oh, hey, my lady just texted me. All right, I'm ready to go. 
You've seen those commercials, you know? And, and also, it's the truck, like I'm pulling something out of mud. <laughs> All right, so the yes business. Yes. So the, the, whole, the, whole, the whole thinking is that, um, you know, without God's yes, then what God says no, is, it, just, it does remain unfulfilled. It remains this kind of this longing for wholeness and truth. Um, and unfortunately, most people will just keep on seeking out the same thing, though. And they will keep perceiving God as the problem or the church is the problem until the church actually communicates God's yes. I mean, that, that's kind of the whole uh, uh, responsibility or the, the, the joy of the church to, to manifest God's yes. Carol. That's great. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. That's right. Yeah. Right. Right. That's why you watch it in widescreen. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh yeah, yeah. I, th- I think the the idea of the idol of the idea is is uh, we're like, oh, that complete, makes complete sense. It, it's unfortunate though that we just don't see our ideas as idols, and so like you know, it takes a long time to really kind of work through that. So yeah, I mean, like Carol's like comment is like, oh yeah, of course. You know, if I have one idea about who you know, I miss out on all this other stuff that this person could be. Or, you know, uh, who God is or the church is. I, I, I make it this big, and unfortunately there's a lot of things going on out here that are actually good, and I miss out on it. Um, it's just that when you're confronted with your, your tunnel vision, that you're, 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 uh, you like to defend your idea. Uh, Holly and then Jan. Right. That they never have to look outside of that idol because that's like the life that's falling apart for them. Right. And it just seems so hopeless because they're just. Well, yeah, so like sociopaths, the idea, the idea of themselves, really, right? It's all about it's, it, uh, if you know any sociopaths or, or read about it. I mean, the big, thi- the big thing about them is that they are doing, they're, they're basically kind of. They do whatever it takes in order to maintain this kind of image of who they are. You know, they use people. They use. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We all have a little problem with using people and making feel. You know, making other people using other people to make ourselves feel good or, or maintain our image. But yeah, so the idea is that that goes to the idea of who you are, though. Because I mean, when you accept the idea of not not remaining static or, or change you're constantly letting go and that's that's kind of scary um, yeah okay uh, buh, 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 buh. what were we talking about before that see what well, uh, so so again this is why I kind of was like we should just I wrote down a few ideas because I'm thinking this could go anywhere. Jan, thank you for reminding me. You're up next. One of the, the thoughts that came to me as I was reading this is that this kind of talks about a group that's sitting here around the afternoon circle. Yeah, right. Sure. And the difference there is that the 
18 as small as 8 and as big as 20. That was last year. Yeah, right. I experienced both of them. And yet, depending upon our goal, the job always gets done. And you learn so many things along the way. I mean, the first thing most ministries teaches you is flexibility. Right. Number one, you are walking out of the culture of this country into something totally different. You know, and, and that's the first thing you have to deal with. But to see, because you don't have the same group of people coming from the same church, mm -hmm. you get a much bigger spread of thoughts and ideas. Yeah, right. And what worked on this trip probably wouldn't have worked on that. That's right. That's good. Those particular people on that team to get his work done. And now, so you become a more flexible person right. through being a part of a group like that than when you're, you know, in this one little group that you're all only thinking the same thing, that, that, that there's a much more wider broadband to be part of Absolutely. Now, I was going to ask you, though, when you're on the, uh, so the people who have been on multiple trips, yeah. is there a temptation to say, well, this is how we should do it? Not yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, you know, because the simple thing would be like, hey, I've been on these trips before. I know what to do. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, not always works that way. Sure. Oh, yeah, right. You know, because eyeglass, you're dealing with lots of people on the short term. Sure. Where women's ministry, you're dealing with a group of people for like the week or the time that you're there. Yeah. In our case, two days. Two, yeah. Two days. Yeah. Sessions with like three different groups. And in this, the case of last year, I was able to go back to the same country that I had been on my very first Sure. And two of the same towns, and they now have a deaconess in those two towns, and the situation is so different Changed, than yeah. it was eight years ago when I started. I mean, we barely had, they barely could get enough kids together to have a group that would, you know, see the kids. This year, or last year, they we had anywhere from 75 to 85 kids at a time. Yeah, too many. Of the four kid teachers, nuts. Yeah, right. But that was because 40 of those kids were students of the deaconesses from that particular kind of Yeah, right. And the other 40 were friends of those kids who wanted to come and experience coloring. Yeah, right. Being a pinata and making music shakers and yeah. stuff because they never get to do it's it. It's fun, yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. Right. And so yeah, no, and people, and so this is interesting. So you can see God working in all these different ways on these eight different sure. that I've been on. When you, when you, it's done. yeah, so, you know, uh, Jan, you're describing, I think, realistically speaking, you're, ex you're ex describing an extreme version of what should be happening every day. Right. The idea is that, so like uh, Kirby quote, that, that's a great quote from the book, is that, um, What's interesting, so, uh, okay, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, upper, upper top of the page. Yeah, expands creation, so that you, 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 you go into the more. Uh, Luther has it, you go into the manifold. Norman Nagel, in his writings, talks about you enter into the manifold. Not the car, but, you know, this 
this expanse. And what's interesting about the, in terms of relationship, and I think kind of, we got to go, um, is, so like a person, I can see, I can see all, I mean, I can see Holly. I mean, I can measure her. I, can, I mean, she's in a located place. But, can I, do I know her completely? No. I mean, there's always, so even though she's there, she's actually measurable in certain extents, as I enter into relationship to her, consenting, I mean, this idea is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be committed to you, you're committed to me. When we enter into that relationship, a whole, a, literally, a whole world opens up to me as a person. Holly's world. And vice versa. Then, of course, imagine that and then in terms of God. A God who's big and wide and all over the place. We enter into relationship with that. It expands into more. So, um, but you get to see that, though, in these circumstances like the mission trip where you, you're, you're, I don't want to say you're forced, uh, you're, 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 uh, you're given to be in the situation where you uh, actually ha you get to open up yourself to other people and see what can be done. You can see, see all this wonderful stuff or, or relationships. It doesn't have to be stuff, per se, but the experiences. And uh, that should be happening every day because as we relate to people, um, it can't be by force. It, it has to be, like you said, consensual. We consent to one another, and by consenting, then we, there's so much more to life. Krista. I just only want to, uh, to say it's so wonderful to be under Christians, with Christians. And um, is it in a small group or a bigger group? And as I told you, um, I attended this Kirchentag, and there was so much joy in, in Frankfurt. You know, even in, in streetcars we were singing. Yeah. It's always the singing and, and hi, hi, and you know, it, it was just wonderful. Right. And at uh, our convention at the Disney Sure. And even in a small group. Yes, of course. It's so wonderful to be with Christians. <laughs> it absolutely is wonderful. Um, I think uh, I, I, if, uh, well, I would say, I mean, that's why I'm a, I, I would say that's one of the driving reasons why I'm a Christian is that I've, uh, if someone has experienced real relationship, Christian relationship, in a moment of their life when you absolutely positively need it, meaning that it's like, I don't want to say it's life or death, whether it's literal or kind of emotional, uh, and if you experience real relationship at that point, uh, it's, it's, the, it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you will, yeah, you experience real, real relationship, real, real, real joy. Yeah. I, and I, for, I think that's, that's only happened for me in, in, in the church. Yeah. For all the crap that happens, it's those <laughs> moments where it's, it's overwhelming. And I think Brianna, Brianna Brown... Brienne Brown, whatever her name is. Brene. Um, I would, you would think I would get it right. Uh, she, in her, her studies, she said that, um, uh, what is it? Uh, it, it, uh, it, it? I can't remember how she phrases it, but basically the, um, the antidote to kind of guilt and shame, if, you, if you've been raised in the church, and you've experienced some kind of uh, 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 problem, guilt, shame, whatever, hurt. Her, her studies have shown the solution has never been to get away from the church. It's been to always either dive more, like to reconcile oneself to it and enter back into it. And, I, and it's because of this, I think, this joy that you eventually experience, this uh, uh, wholeness. Not happiness or pleasure, but this wholeness, contentness. And I, I would. It's more annoying than somebody who's just figured it out and they're always going, like, going out of a hungry gut and you're like, yeah, I know. Been <laughs> 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 there a long time. Yeah, you, 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 always, you always want to share. <laughs> um, one thing we, did, we didn't really delve too much on is, is uh, I think, uh, well, I, I always, 
Yeah. Well, never mind. <laughs> we won't we'll talk about it. We'll just move on to the next chapter, prosperity, I believe. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.